Hello, my plant friends. I want to take a moment to talk to you guys about mushrooms. No, not that kind of mushrooms. I'm talking about reishi, chaga, shiitake, maitake, ergo, cordyceps, lion's mane, all these different mushrooms that have been used for thousands of years in Chinese herbal medicine. It is ancient wisdom that there are tons of health benefits to consuming mushrooms of all types. And I recently started supplementing with this company called Real Mushrooms. If you haven't had the chance to listen to episode 38 featuring Jeff Chilton, I highly recommend it. He is the founder of this company and an ethnomycologist who's been studying mushrooms for a really long time. He really breaks it down for us. Another good resource for this information would be the movie Fantastic Fungi. Definitely recommend that. Or you can just click on one of the links in the description of every episode that will take you to articles that outline all the different health benefits of these mushroom supplements. Now, I'm going to run through all the ones that I've actually been taking myself. So Real Mushrooms offers these hot water extracts that are made from the whole fruit body of these mushrooms. And they come in both powder and capsule form. So I've been taking the five defenders in the capsule form, and it's a blend of turkey tail, reishi, maitake, shiitake, and chaga. Now, all of those mushrooms have been proven to boost the immune system. So who couldn't benefit from having a boost in their immune system right now? Another one that I'm taking is the mushroom D2Z, which is a blend of reishi and chaga only. It is infused with vitamin D and zinc. Now, the vast majority of the population is deficient in vitamin D. So what better way to get it than in these mushroom supplements that come with all these other health benefits? Another one that was recommended to me, but I'm taking in the powder form is chaga. So chaga has been used to help improve issues with digestion. So if you have something like IBD, IBS, I highly recommend this. I've been taking it at night, mixing it with my sleepy time tea, and I've noticed a huge improvement in my digestion problems. So anytime I'm about to do a podcast, I take lion's mane or right before work. Lion's mane has been proven to help with cognition. It is a nootropic that some studies suggest that may even be creating new neural pathways in your brain. So anytime I think I'm going to have to use my brain a lot, I take the lion's mane. And the last one that I'm taking is cordyceps. So cordyceps are used by athletes for performance enhancement, and they're known to really help with endurance and boost your energy levels. So if you're feeling really low energy, start trying this cordyceps. I'm taking it every day and my energy levels are way up. So that's all the ones that I'm taking myself personally that I can speak on, but there's testimonials for every single one on the website of Real Mushrooms, realmushrooms.com. If you're ready to pull the trigger and want to make a purchase and start supplementing these mushrooms, make sure to click on one of the links in the description of my episodes, or you can go to the link in my bio on my Instagram and click the little button that says real mushrooms and it has a little mushroom emoji. Or you can use code if plants could talk at checkout and you'll get 10% off all future orders. However, if you're a first time buyer, you can sign up to get a first time buyer code of 25% off your first order. So definitely do that. It would help me out a lot if you guys use my link and use that code at checkout. So make sure to go check them out. Real mushrooms. This podcast is brought to you by Mezcala Nursery, located at 6901 Orange Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90805. Mezcala is family-owned, family-ran since 2007. This is the house of succulents growing grounds, you guys. I'm talking everything you can possibly imagine in the succulent realm, from your common everyday plants to more rare and obscure imports. They have 
all kinds of different cacti and euphorbias. They can service your landscaping needs and they have a bunch of hoop houses dedicated to houseplants. And I go to Sergio anytime I have to do a pop-up, anytime I'm going to do a pop-up, I go to them and I keep my shop stocked by supporting Mezcala. They have everything you need in one place. Mezcala is also on Instagram, at Mezcala Nursery. They keep their stories updated daily of these plants that can come and go really quickly. You could miss it. Make sure to go show them some love. It's also very family friendly and the customer service is on point. I'm there all the time. I bring my kids with me. They always have a great time. 6901 Orange Avenue, Long Beach, California, 90805, Mezcala Nursery. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to If Plants Could Talk. This is Garrett. I'm your host. This conversation took place on September 3rd, 2021 with my guest T-Rex Plants, also known as Jen. Jen joined me virtually today from San Diego, California, where she has an awesome collection of all different kinds of plants, house plants, tropicals, cactus and succulents. We talked about some of the food that she's grown for herself over the years. She keeps chickens. She's super interesting. She's been collecting reptiles since she was five years old and worked in that industry for a number of years. She's an excellent presenter and speaker. I think she did such a great job. Yet another guest that I've invited to come back and maybe dig a little deeper. Really enjoyed it. She's got a wealth of knowledge. She also has an Etsy shop. It's called T-Rex Plants. She's on Instagram at T-Rex Plants. And I will plug a link to her website and her socials in the description of this episode. I have some announcements to make. I am going to be committing to putting out one episode per week at the very least. And um, yeah, I'm in school full time now. I'm taking 12 units and working a couple days a week at a treatment center. And of course, selling plants full time on Etsy and Instagram. I really appreciate everybody that's supporting me in that capacity. And I'm just letting you guys know I got to slow down a little bit. I have an interview coming up September 14th. That's a Tuesday with author and mycologist Jeff Chilton. Really looking forward to bringing you guys that and learning about the world of fungi and mushrooms and mycelium. He has a book called The Mushroom Cultivator. You might want to check that out. I've been reading it. I'm going to try to finish it before the interview. Yeah, looking forward to that. I hope you guys enjoy. Here's Jen. So I'm here today with T-Rex Plants, a.k.a. Jen, joining me from San Diego, California via Zoom, correct? Yep, that's right. All right. So we were talking about, uh, before we had some technical difficulties, some of those albos and variegations you have there. Is that just a small percentage of how many you have there? A little, yeah. So I have a bunch of the houseplants. Uh, It got a little crazy last year with COVID and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the houseplants, don't get me wrong, but like my tie I got as an import back before everything got crazy in 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, And I've just been babying it. So it's now it's huge and beautiful. And then the elbow, like I picked up for a steal. Uh, For a lot of the houseplants, I picked them up when they weren't like the prices hadn't gone too crazy because it just feels weird because I know that they're going to go right back down. I've seen that kind of bubble before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, if all I have to do is just be patient. Within a year or two, things are going to start going back down. And that's exactly what's been happening. 
Um, so these are my big, pretty sculptural type of plants. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually have with me to show if we get to it, but some of my favorite anthuriums, because these are my absolute favorite. Very cool. Look at those leaves. Yeah, they're just so pretty. Um, so those, those I definitely, I have a whole shelf by our living room window because that's got the best light. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just filled with anthuriums. And we can't actually see them ever unless I rotate them if we're having company because they all face the window. Mm -hmm. uh, so my boyfriend's just like, why do we need to have this shelf here? Like, we can't see any of these, like any of the pretty side of the leaves. I'm like, it's fine. Huh. We'll turn it around when company's here. So when you import a house plant, uh, how do they do that? Did they, they express it? They should. Um, my tie and my, uh, I got my Monstera dubia, my tie and my original Adansonii, uh, all from the same importer or, or exporter from Thailand back in 2019. Um, they ship them out, they wrap them with moss, uh, expect the leaves to come in with absolute, like in absolute crap shape. Like yeah. all of them had beat up leaves. Uh, I think all of them ended up dropping those leaves within the first month or two, except for the Monstera or the, sorry, the tie. Mm -hmm. Um, but they ship them in and I was unlucky in that we had a, a heat wave and it got held up in customs for like five days. Wow. And so I was panicking that I was going to lose the whole thing. Um, cause the shipping's not cheap either. I was just trying it to see, uh, just again, like in hindsight, if I could have imported a whole bunch at that time, I would have probably, uh, made quite a bit of money in 2020, but, uh, but then it was just trying it out. And so it took weeks, actually like two weeks of them, they had exported it. And before I actually got it and everything was hot, it did poorly. Uh, it took me ages to get the dubia to get going. But now that I've got it going, um, that's a plant that I chop and prop uh, at least once or twice a year. And so I've always got like five or 10 of them now. Nice. <laughs> it's funny for such a plant that was so rare and hard to find that I had to. And that now I have them everywhere. They're all over the house in different containers. <laughs> so do the, are the roots wet? Do they, do they send them wet or do they send them? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Compared to like a, the cacti and succulents, the roots have to be kept wet, but they can't be too wet. So they just have to be kind of moist. Mm. Uh, and it's all in the, the exporters packaging about what they usually will use some sphagnum moss and they wrap it in newspaper that's damp. Uh, and then they usually do a bit of, I think either plastic wrap around it, or they'll do a, a plastic baggie uh, or even just tape sometimes. Mm. And then from there, then they wrap the whole thing in paper again. Uh, and then put that in a box and the whole thing, they try to cram them as small and as compactly as they can. So there's no movement. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of the big things with shipping plants. I'm sure, you know, too, because you ship them, totally. you want as little movement of that plant in the box as possible because that's how you get rubs and damage. Yeah. So with these, it's insane how tightly they pack them. That's why the leaves get some damage, but it's not too bad. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I've never ever had a house plant shipped to me, nor have I ever been uh, ballsy enough to try to ship one, but uh, that's cool. Now, now I'm interested. Uh, can we rewind and go back to, so are you from San Diego? Where are you from originally? Uh, I was actually born and like halfway raised in LA. I'm from okay. uh, like Torrance actually. A route. Uh, that's where I grew up as a kid. And then we moved down here uh, when I was just about to start high school. Mm -hmm. And so from then on, I've been uh, a San Diego native. And once I grew up and actually, uh, started renting it and like moved out and lived here on my own. I never really ended up wanting to leave. I think briefly I lived in Riverside for a while and it was terrible. I just wanted to come back. So most of your adult life has been in San Diego. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I like San Diego. Uh, my girlfriend's from there. I, w I would love to live there one day, especially if, if I could get my hands on some land. 
it's beautiful. Uh, don't don't go house shopping right now. It's no. nuts. Yeah. I'm, no, <laughs> I'm nowhere near ready yet. That's cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about like was there plants in your childhood? Funny enough, no. Uh, the the way that I got into plants was actually because of the animals, like the cages that are back there. Uh, part of what ended up getting me really excited about the plants was that I was creating living vivariums for like dart frogs or small tropical snakes and things like that. And I got really excited about tropical plants because mm. they were what you put in those kinds of vivariums. Um, that and the house plants, because it's pretty, they're nice. But I, when I was doing this, the reason that I was keeping plants in my animal cages is because I took care of the animals. If it was a plant loose in the house, <laughs> was probably going to die. Mm. Uh, I would just, I just worked too much. And uh, the the animals at that point, um, the dart frogs, especially because those cages are all kind of self-sufficient. Uh, it works really well. So the, the plants all really thrive, but you know, I, that ended up morphing into, you know, moving into this house where I, where I live with my boyfriend, we've been here almost eight years or together. We've been here almost eight years. Uh, and here there's just so much options for plants. Uh, I got into, first I was taking care of all of our hibiscus, the roses, then I got into plumerias, then I got into bonsai, um, literally anything green. I started trying to mess with it until I latched on to uh, the cacti and succulents and just absolutely fell in love because yeah. they're they're beautiful, they're sculptural, and you, I can put them in the ground and they honestly thrive with so little effort. Yeah. Um, I'm just busy. I don't want to mess with things all the time. Yeah. How did you do with the bonsais? If you don't want me uh, asking, <laughs> I've got a couple. I've still, I've got my my decor decor decorai, uh -huh. and I've got a Mexican frankincense. But that's really all that's left of the bonsais I tried. Mm. Um, the heat waves here just end up nuking them. Uh, I they they'll catch me by surprise, and then anything outside that might have been maybe not okay with it just dies. I'm like, well, this is depressing. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> Yeah, I killed some mature ones within the first year of having them and never tried again. <laughs> yeah. I had some maples, some really pretty established, like 15, 20 year old maples. Yeah. And we had a heat wave and I was like, well, this is disappointing. I'm not going to do that. You got to water every other day or something like that. It's like, like we travel. Wild. I was like, no, I can't like even these, like all of my tropical plants are all plants that can go like a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe then we can start with the reptiles since the reptiles got you into the plants. When did the reptiles start? When I was five years old. Okay. Apparently I came out demanding snakes. Uh, <laughs> I was a little, a little kid and just what I wanted for my birthday when I turned five was a pet snake. Uh, and so I went and picked her out and it was a little ball python and her name is Cindy and I still got her. What? Yeah. she's. I still have the snake. She's. Uh, she's lived with like I have taken her through everything. She's moved with me every time. Um, no way. I have never not like, I have no memory of not having the snake. That's rad. She's my baby. So uh, without revealing your age, how old is she? <laughs> uh, she is now. Oh God. How old am I? Uh, <laughs> she's 29. Wow. That's so cool. Your snake is like two years younger than me. <laughs> uh, she's, she's older than a lot like a lot of the or not a lot but many of the people i meet now i'm like she can rent a car she can vote <laughs> cindy mm -hmm. has she, cindy had any babies yeah actually i've got uh for a while i was breeding a lot of ball pythons so i bred her for probably about five or six years 
um, and ended up with one of her babies is the only other ball python I still keep. And it's a, a all white ball python. It's a genetic mutation. So it's all white with blue eyes. Um, his name is Lunesto. Mm. <laughs> and he's beautiful. He's, uh, he's not as friendly as she is. Cause like she, uh, when I was taking her out more often, you could just put her around someone's neck and she'd just hang there. Uh, I was using her for educational presentations and outreach stuff. Uh, for many years. She's really sweet. Um, somebody out there has her babies as well. But uh, because of her age, and I've just had her for so long, like you, the snake is, uh, she's earned her retirement. So she gets to live in her, it's funny, her box. Uh, she does the best in one of those like smaller enclosed type of containers. Mm. Uh, I've tried setting her up in a more display type cage and she just smashes everything and then hides. And mm doesn't move around as much as she does when she's in a more enclosed space that isn't quite so open. So she gets to, to hang out in her retirement. She eats, eats every week or two, gets a nice clean cage and I check on her and she's just a happy little camper. <laughs> she knows what she likes. Mm-hmm. How interesting. So I would imagine the snake is pretty giant and could probably like murk somebody if it was wanting to. Well, pythons don't get that oh, big. She's, they don't. Uh, she's only about five feet. That's big. She's thick around. Well, I guess my perspective is different. I had a, a reticulated python for a while, and uh-huh. his name was Adolfo, and he's like 10 feet long. Um, I ended up rehoming him because we have a Pomeranian, and he was at a size where he could eat her, and it just wasn't like when I when I stopped working with reptiles in my day-to-day job, I got less familiar and comfortable with him. So he started to get to a point where like I wasn't as comfortable taking him out, which isn't a good place uh, to be. Like If you're keeping an animal, you should be able to work with it. So I ended up uh, rehoming him with a friend who did uh, educational programs as well. So it was, mm. but he was like 10 feet long. Like I've still got some pictures. Like this was a snake that was bigger than this room is wide. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm uh, fascinated by the, the love for snakes uh, in particular. I mean, most children are, are naturally terrified of snakes. It's, it depends. I think some, I've met some kids, like I worked in reptiles for over seven years. Um, and some kids come in and it's just their thing. Yeah. But I was one of those kids, but like, there's definitely plenty of them. If you haven't taught them, like they don't uh, pick it up from their parents that they, it's something to be scared of. If it just doesn't come up, they usually come to it with like this openness and interest and you can hand them a little tiny baby snake and they just fall in love. Cool. And that's it. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got a picture of me in like second grade with a python around me on hold notes. Like so probably something similar to what you've done. I don't know. T- tell me about that. Uh, so you, when did you start working with reptiles like professionally? It was one of my first, well, early jobs. So like I was going to school um, and this was just supposed to be a job to kind of pay the bills and pay my way until uh, I graduated. And what ended up happening is I went from being like basically like a sales associate at the store. Uh-huh. Um, the company was Triple L Reptile. So if, if you're into reptiles, you probably know who they are. Uh-huh. Um, and funny enough, little sidebar, I like when I ended up shifting roles for the company over the years, I became the person who did, did their digital marketing. So I was in all the videos. Mm. Joseph, Coco Geek Plants, mm-hmm. uh, turns out he knows of me from those videos. We had a moment like a couple months ago where he realized that I was that person uh, that was in the videos. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was a really funny little thing that's been years now. It's been, oh, God, I quit seven years ago, eight years ago. So it's been a while since I was there. But it was just funny that it's still a thing that people will watch. But so I sales associate 
uh, ended up running a few stores, um, dropped out of college. Funny enough, I was already like running stores, doing these things. I got into digital marketing. It was like, why go into debt to go to school if I'm already doing the job? Sure. Um, and then I ran, uh, one of the things that I did was also run part of the breeding facility. So I, I managed a colony of blue tongue skinks that was about 200 animals at the time. Wow. Um, maybe 50 or 60 adults and then a whole bunch of babies uh, that we were raising up and also the breeding program for the large boas, so boas and pythons. Mm -hmm. So there were blood pythons and Madagascar ground boas. Um, the, the blood pythons sucked. Uh, blood pythons are like, so when, when I say five feet long with the ball pythons, it's like this big, but she's only like that big around and she's big for her size. She's not, she's maybe six or seven pounds. Mm. So that's a big ball python. These blood pythons are the same length, but they weigh like 15 or 20 pounds. So it's a snake that's like this big around wow. um, and they're angry at life. <laughs> they're just furious with everything. All they want to do is burrow into their cage and just hang out there and eat. And mm. so like they were the, probably the scariest things that I worked with because like, if you weren't paying attention, they'd nail you and they would bite and it hurt. Like wow. you get a big old bruise and one bite me and I had to pull teeth out of my arm. Like it was just, oh. they, they were intense. That sounds intense. So are you like nat you're naturally have this like caretaker part of your personality? Cause I mean, I think so. Like growing up, we've always had animals. Uh, we dogs and cats always growing up. Uh, my mom, uh, when we lived up in LA, she was the lady that everybody on the block or actually in the neighborhood would bring, like if they found a bird with a broken wing, it was my mom they brought it to. Oh, cool. uh, so there's pictures of me and my brother growing up with like baby starlings and blue jays and stuff sitting on our heads. We'd feed them and then release them. And um, it was just a thing we did. And so we always had something, uh, the dogs and cats, obviously. And then uh, because I had the snake, and uh, she didn't always eat her rats. So whenever she didn't eat a rat, I had a pet rat. And that rat oh. would live out its life being just a beloved pet for the family for a couple of years. Lucky uh, that's their natural lifespan, especially when it's a feeder rat. They don't live as long. Um, but yeah, we always had the animals. And we moved out to the rural part of San Diego. So we ended up having like goats and chickens and horses and cool. like you name it, we probably had it. And you have chickens now, right? Yeah, that was that was our COVID thing. Uh, we ended up deciding in May last year to get chickens. And so we got little babies and went all out in taking care of the little chicks. Mm. Um, so we would be like, because when they're little tiny babies, they have to be kept warm and you have to really protect them and keep them in a small spot. But uh, to make them friendly, we would, uh, on our lunches, we would go out into the front yard and sit with them um, and just let them cruise around and eat dirt and grass and stuff. But the it's really easy when they're at that size to teach them that when you call them like call them to come because you'll give them treats mm. so our chickens all come when they're called uh, awesome. and uh, they, they all like being picked up for the most part um they all are honestly pretty friendly for chickens like everyone's always super tickled um and then we've got the big fluffy one bo peep who uh, <laughs> is the house chicken that you've probably seen me posting about because uh, she got mauled by a coyote a few weeks ago and oh, we were taking care of her in the house. Yeah, she lost her whole tail, a bunch of feathers on her back. She had some big wounds. So we brought her inside, took care of her. She's okay now. Um, but the end result is that she's dis discovered that it's great to live in the house. So she like, just today I got back from going to the nursery for a, a restock and um, she was like pacing in the coop. 
So mm. I open the coop, let the chickens out, and she comes running to the back door and it's just pacing by the back door, open it up. She goes running into the kennel because she wants to lay her egg in there. Oh, wow. She'll leave, she'll, she comes marching in to go to bed. Like she'll spend all day out with the girls, but when they all go get ready to go to bed in their coop, she just marches to our back door because she wants to come inside. What a trip. She's a character. That's cool. Are you, are you, uh, do you have like hens and stuff? Are you getting eggs? Yep. They're all girls. So we get eggs. Um, we've got five, five of them. So we've got the, we've got three of the Easter eggs. So they lay blue and green eggs. Mm -hmm. And then we've got the two cochins that lay brown eggs. So it's a a nice mix. Um, and with five of them, I, I got the, that many on purpose to, cause I was expecting roosters. Normally, like I got six originally, uh, the coyote got one of them. Um, but I got six expecting to have at least one, if not three or four roosters. Mm-hmm. And all we really need is two or three for the two of us, two or three hens. Um, and instead, what I got was six hens. <laughs> so oh, sh- we have so many chickens. And by the time we realized that they were all girls, we were all too, they were, we were too attached to them. Yeah. Uh, and you can keep that many. So it's just, uh, we, we open up the coop in the morning, let them free roam during the day. Uh, they've actually done a number on pests in the yard. They're wonderful. Um, but they do also really like to eat any plants in the ground. So like all of the ice plants, like that is their routine. Like every evening they go and they cruise and just demolish my ice plants. Mm. Um, is it so nutritious for them? Must be. <laughs> or yeah. taste good. I have no idea why they like them so much. Mm. Uh, they'll eat the flowers. They'll eat the leaves. Like, and they may, they're determined about it too. Like it is their thing that they do before bed. That's cool. At least that's an easy plant to like, uh, propagate and continue to have more for them. Yeah. Like if they were, if they were still trying to get the, the life ops or any of the <laughs> other stuff, I'd probably be like, you guys, you cannot do this. Yeah, man. Those like free range brown eggs when the, when the yolk is like deep orange, mm-hmm. delicious. I love eggs. Yep. Oh yeah. We soft boil them like we, cause we have so many now. So like we've gotten really good at the, the soft boiling technique, hard boiling, how to peel them perfectly. Mm. So that you've got a nice, perfect egg in the middle. Like the yeah. secret is to push a hole in the thick, in the wide end of the egg, use a push pin and push a little hole. Don't break all the way through, but mm. that lets the air escape, um, but water in. So you actually end up with the water kind of goes around and separates the shell from the membrane. Oh, interesting. Pro tip. <laughs> they have those, like those little, cookie cutter type things too right where you can get kind of technical making eggs yeah the we the little silicone molds we've done those when we make breakfast sandwiches Mm. um but they're yeah it's honestly like the the molds end up like making a little wedge on the end so you don't get that really tasty like slightly burnt crispy Mm. edge which i think is one of the tastier parts so do you do you grow other food like are you trying to get to the point where you're self-sufficient here yeah, we would love to. I, I've been doing a food garden every year, um, pretty much every year, actually, for the last like six or seven years. Um, I did sunflowers. I had a bunch of sunflowers for a while. Um, but like the hard part is because it's so hot and bright here that I need to figure out how to put up a shade cloth. And I never do in time. So I always end up roasting the tomatoes, roasting the peppers, roasting all the lettuce. Mm. Uh, we get like six Funny, we, we get like six months of good growing weather, but it's three months in spring and three months in fall. And it's too cold or too hot the rest of the year, mm. uh, unless you put a lot of other effort into it. So uh, we've grown a bunch of food. Uh, the zucchinis always squashes, melons. Um, right. I, re- I like to do a lot of heirloom seeds and things like that. So I've 
I've been able to do a bunch of it. It's just once the plants get mature, it's a hard time trying to actually amend the soil enough so it's nutritious enough for them to grow. And they keep them watered enough and shaded enough that they don't like just melt in the sun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot on your hands. I don't know how, how you can juggle all that with all these tropical plants and your reptiles. It just, it's, you get to a point where you just, the, it feels weird to not be constantly moving. And I have a routine, like everything has a place in my, my daily kind of setup, like the, um, bless my boyfriend's heart because I, every morning I'm dragging at least three or four plants into the shower that we both use, uh, to water them with me while I'm taking a shower. And he can't usually get into taking a shower until I've taken them all back out. Um, but he puts up with it really well, but that's one of the ways that, you know, I kind of handle it. Like for the anthuriums that I've got and my, my philodendrons that are still inside the varicose and things that are, uh, more delicate, the, they really do a lot better for us. If I do that thorough flush, um, in part, because we've got really hard water naturally, but then we soften it. So mm. there's salts, there's the, the minerals that are left in there. So there's our water's just really weird. Um, so doing that flush like that actually ends up helping things do a lot better. That's great. And do you do like a controlled environment for any of these tropicals? You told me you grow them in your vivariums, right? Mm -hmm. I've got the, funny enough, the, I can do a beautiful planted vivarium. I cannot keep it looking beautiful for more than like six months or a year. Mm. Um, the, the ultimate goal is to have a self-sustaining bioactive vivarium that has thriving plants in there that you basically just trim and you don't have to worry about it. I have not been able to achieve that with anything besides uh, my current vivarium has a huge mat of string of turtles. Mm. Um, and then I've got some, some little philodendrons in there that I forgot what they're called. It's a type of heart leaf and it's a creeper. Uh, but those are the only things that have survived in there for more than a year uh, mm -hmm. and, and done well. But like behind me, that case there is yeah. my grow case. Dan and I did that, or my boyfriend and I did that uh, last fall. And it's got LEDs in it. I keep it humid. Um, and that one actually, the funny thing, the hard part about doing indoor lighting is it's actually not bright enough for me to keep a lot of things in there long term. It works really well for starting seeds. It works really well for starting uh, props, but uh, the lights are just not quite bright enough mm -hmm. um, and there's not quite enough airflow. I've got computer fans in there to move the air mm -hmm. and it's just the, between our air conditioning, which is currently running and the heat in winter or like the different varying environments, like things in there just don't stay consistent enough. So it's actually pretty hard to try and do a more controlled environment, yeah. um, especially when you enclose things in glass cases. Sure. You almost need like an intake or like a, a constant air conditioner or something in there. Yeah, it needs like, it's almost like I should have not put in that back glass panel. Honestly, I've seen some people don't put in the back, the back panel or they'll put in just a wire mesh, mm. which, you know, that might have worked. Um, I think it looks, it looks really pretty. It's hard to see in a video like this, but when you look at it in person, it's really pretty. Uh, it's just not as functional as I would have liked. So I'm going to try putting in more lights because I think if there's better lighting in there, the plants will thrive more because they'll breathe more. And that kind of plant aspiration, I think helps. Cause I've got friends, like I've got friends up in Northern California who have a fully enclosed, like a uh, wooden armoire type of growing cabinet. That's fully enclosed. Like that thing does not have any airflow. Hmm. She doesn't even put fans in it. And she, it's, all of her stuff in there's thriving. She's got things that are so that get so big in there so quick that she has to pull them out. And I'm like, what? 
how, how is your whole solid wood box working so much better than this glass case? Yeah. Interesting. I guess they have a little more mild heat than we do. That's one thing, right? She's in, she's not in like San Francisco. She's in like uh, Santa Barbara and she's further okay. inland. So okay. she gets like hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It gets really hot and really cold. Like she gets worse extremes than we do. Interesting. So, but, and you have a greenhouse too, correct? Didn't you just build it recently? Yeah. Yeah. We finished, uh, that's been a labor of love. I placed the order last August, got the shipment in December we weren't able to actually build it until uh, June and July this year. So it's been almost a year in the making. Um, I put a concrete foundation down because uh, we have a gnarly gopher problem. Mm. Uh, gophers are the worst, as I'm sure anybody who puts anything in the ground will agree. Uh, so we've got the concrete foundation. It's all redwood. It's got the polycarbonate sides and roof. Um, it's a million degrees. Uh, my boyfriend's been helping me. We're, we actually got a full a battery like a it's actually a boat battery um so if you're gonna go off on a sailboat i guess uh, he's the one who does the solar and stuff he designed the solar for our house um but he got me this battery we've got a little controller panel and an exhaust fan and then so i'm gonna get uh, another solar panel but basically the greenhouse is solar powered That's and it's right. got a battery enough that i can charge my phone out there um and actually run things uh, out in the greenhouse rad yeah and what are you growing in the greenhouse it is all cacti and succulents. Okay. Um, it's been a learning curve. It is different. Like anyone who grows stuff outside or in a, like a cloth or even just a, a tarp type of greenhouse, growing it in a polycarbonate style is different. It's not, uh, the light is more intense on the edges. Uh, I've had some stuff get burnt when we have a hot day because it's the combination of heat and light kind of refracts and kind of scorches things. Mm um first moving things in when they've been outside even if they were in a greenhouse before if moving them into the polycarbonate one where it's a lot hotter uh, i had like about a third of my plants get scorched on the top uh in temperatures that they've been in fine in before mm -hmm. um, these are plants that i had in like a plastic greenhouse and so they were hitting like 100 to 115 in that greenhouse but something about being in the brighter and um, I think more still air of uh, yeah. the, the new one, just the, the leaves all have like a little bit of sunburn. So like all my show plants that I wanted to try and show when we were opening, we started to reopen. I'm like, well, next year. Mm. <laughs> cool. And then you have an Etsy shop, right? Mm -hmm. It's a T-Rex plants on Etsy as well. The, it's something I had started in 2019 uh, with a lot of, cause we have a lot of landscape and yard plants. And I was like, oh, you know, I can, why don't I just try propping and maybe that'll help kind of fund my growing addiction to, to sure. these plants. Um, and it slowly started to pick up. I looked into wholesaling. I looked into um, nursery license. Uh, I think that's next up um, is some of the other things, but like I got my wholesale license, I got my business license and actually went full legit. Uh, I was importing things from Europe, importing things from China for a bit, um, found a lot of local growers I like, and then COVID hit, so it was impossible to get things from overseas for a hot minute. Mm. Um, and then I found a handful of growers uh, here in San Diego that I really like and can get wholesale. So that's kind of how I stock things currently. And then um, I hit a point now where I'm getting enough seeds that I can actually seed grow my own stuff, but that's going to be probably another year or two before my own seed grown stock is going to be in the, the store but i love it it's really fun so we're talking landscape plants is landscape it cultivation uh, i do a lot of the what i like are things that are small enough that i can put them in a small box and mm -hmm. ship just one 
Um, things that are landscape are just really hard and expensive to ship. Uh, one of my favorite nurseries down here, Gnosis Nurseries, he's out in Ramona. Um, and he does big, beautiful uh, landscapes. He's grown aloes and cacti and things like that. It's just those are so hard to ship. Uh, so you have to get them as seedlings. And most people who are looking for a landscape plant like that uh, are going to try and find it locally because they want the big one to put in the ground immediately. And most people don't want to wait for a landscape yeah. plant as a seedling to grow up. So, so um, what kind of plants are you selling? Uh, right now, because it's hot, it's all cacti. Uh, I'll do uh, because I don't like to bring like with the, the greenhouse. My original plan was to have stuff like a side of it for inventory, but um, I treated everything that went in there. I put a lot of effort into pest control within the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And I was standing there with my tray of nursery plants. And I was like, you know what? No, like these are, these come in and out so quick. It's just not, uh, it's just asking to introduce pests into my personal collection yeah. to have them be in the same place. So, um, brain fart. Where was I? <laughs> um, the kind of cactus that you're carrying currently. Yes. So at the moment, I like to have the smaller things. So I do a lot of the mammillaria, gymnocalyceums, uh, echinocerias, things that bloom or look pretty, especially in a smaller pot. Mm. Uh, a lot of what I ship is to places that are not as conducive to growing them outside as we are. Yeah. Uh, a, lot of, a lot to New York, a lot to San Francisco, uh, a lot to the Midwest. So mm. I try to find things that would do well in a windowsill or if you get like a dedicated grow light, people can really do well with them. Sure. Um, so I, I avoid a lot of columnars just because it's hard for people to have them do well. Because mm -hmm. when people fail to do well with them, they blame the seller, not their growing conditions. You know, thankfully, I haven't had that problem because that the majority of what I sell is, is columnar cactus. But uh, I haven't had too many problems. I've had some, you know, maybe some mold or some pests or something that comes up that comes back on me, even though it's four or five months later. <laughs> but it's like... Uh, yeah, for the most part, I, I've gotten kind of lucky on that, I guess. But it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I like to ship columnar because uh, long and skinny tends to be a little more inexpensive to ship, you know? So, <laughs> like, those long, skinny boxes. everything is 12 by 6 by 6, 18 by 6 by 6, 30 by 6 by 6. Most of my packages are like that. But that's uh, cool. I do a lot of five cubes and six cubes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just the stuff that, that looks cute in a little pot. That's what people end up wanting to stage. Yeah. Um, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, rad. Well, you're providing a service to those people that, you know, may, might not have access to those plants, you know? Mm-hmm. It's actually, that's one of the things I try to do because a lot of Etsy sellers, like one of my uh, nursery suppliers is one that a lot of us share. So it's, uh, you can actually tell, like we all kind of hit the nursery at the same time every morning uh, when we do go and, and a lot of people don't like to do cacti. Uh, if they're going to be doing the the big bulk selling, they do a lot of succulents instead. Sure. Um, so cacti, I'm like, no, that's fine. Uh, I have gloves. I, at this point, I've got a technique down. Um, I know I've stopped bringing cacti into the laundry, uh, or not cacti, but the spines into the laundry. Uh, discovering that the like apuncha, those little apuncha, the little like fiberglass, yeah, tiny little. Uh, thorns and getting in the, your clothes when you stick it in the, the wash blockets. and then everybody's mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They end up in my kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I got, uh, I actually hit up my dad for advice. Cause I, I remember he had these tweezers that I was using to pull teeth out of my arm from a snake. I was like, dad, <laughs> I need these. 
for cactus spines. And so he sent me the like electrostatic uh, type of tweezers to go find on Amazon. So I got a, a set of six. Mm. <laughs> and so I've got one in the, a set in the greenhouse and a set down here for us to pull spines out of ourselves. That's cool. Yeah, I find it rewarding to to ship plants and I, I enjoy the challenge of like, I don't know how I'm going to make this work kind of thing, trying to <laughs> pack different styles of plants and stuff and yeah, uprooting and cleaning out the roots and stuff. It's fun. It's, uh, it's therapeutic for me. Mm -hmm. I like the, I think one of the things that's been the best about it is that I get to see roots in a way that most people don't. Sure, um, yeah. All the different Constantly. sizes, plants with different growth rates, like uh, Haworthias are bonkers. Um, Haworthias just let all the roots die at least once a year, if not twice. Um, oh. All the roots just kind of die back, for, except for a couple tubers, and then they put out all new ones. How interesting. It's insane. The, and I, I was like, I thought I was just killing them. And I was like feeling really guilty until I got um, Jeff Moore's book on soft succulents and one of them, it's not the soft succulent one, but anyway, uh, and I was reading through it and he actually specifically mentions that Haworthias do this. It is just a thing that they do, um, at least on an annual basis is that their roots will die back and then they grow new ones. And I was like, oh my God, okay, it's not me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> These plants just are doing it. Um, it's like they, they hit a dormancy cycle and then once they start growing again, when they were dormant, they just drop their roots. And then uh, when they start to grow again, they put out new ones and it's a neat thing. And I wouldn't have known that. And I wouldn't have seen it if I wasn't packing and shipping so many of them yeah. and making and checking the roots. So yeah, a um, cool. yeah, little nugget. Do you, do you see any parallels uh, from with the reptiles and the plants? Mm -hmm. um, the same collector mentality. Like there's, there's people who get into something cause it's cool or they think it's cute or whatever. Um, but then there's the people who like, like me, and I'm sure like you and a lot of the people in our circles is that they get into like this, like, I really love this thing. I want a bunch of them. I, this thing tickles my fancy. I need to have it. And it's a weird, like reptile people do it. Plant people do it where you get to a thing and you just want them all. Yeah. Uh, the, the pricing too, uh, the price bubble for the tropical stuff last year, reptiles, um, bearded dragons did it, ball pythons did it, corn snakes did it. Like you can, like the, it was for, for me and a couple of other friends who were from the reptile world originally and then got into plants, we were watching the tropical plant thing and just being like, this is a bubble. Like there were people who were like, like selling everything, like quitting their jobs and just doing plants and flipping plants and like cool for them. Like if they made that much money, like fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to last. So you got to like plan for when that market flips around again, because it will. Mm. Uh, it's a volatile thing. 100%. And this it's seasonal too. You know, mm -hmm. I was able to do it for a few months, but I was barely getting by. I don't know how it might seem to people on the outside, but selling plants is, I mean, it's, it, it can be really difficult to, to get to where you're like being able to support yourself and your family and all of that yeah. too, you know, yep. the, I did the math, like on my average sale. Um, currently, if I wanted to make what I make now and quit my day job, um, so that, and that includes the cost of benefits, like health insurance and dental and things sure. that a lot of people, when they quit their, their day jobs, don't realize. Mm -hmm. uh, I went freelancing for a few years after the reptile gig. And that I, so I got really familiar with the hidden costs that get covered by our employer, um, health insurance being a big one, but like the cost of 
me quitting my day job and doing plants full time at my current average sale price, I would need to sell at least 8,000 plants a, a year. Um, wow. My current rate is like not even 2,000. Yeah. So, uh, you either need to really increase the cost per transaction or uh, get really efficient. Yeah. Um, but it's crazy. And not to mention it's 1099 if you're on something like Etsy too. So you're going to have to pay taxes on all that at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah. Man, and and there's been a lot of increase in fees lately. I've noticed on eBay, on Etsy, on all kinds of platforms. It's really difficult. I actually had this. There's a new plant seller platform that's coming out. They reached out and they want to do a demo. I'm sure that they'll probably re- if they haven't already. It looks pretty cool. I can't remember what it's called, but it's exclusively plants. I, I don't know. I've been hope, thinking about going independent, but the thing about it is Etsy brings you all the traffic, majority of the traffic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't beat that, them bringing yeah. you all those people. Whenever anybody asks me, cause I did, it's it for me right now, it is a very nice solid like side income kind of thing. Like if I don't get my Etsy sales uh, in a month, like July and August were really rough uh, compared to COVID. <laughs> COVID was a terrible year to try and benchmark your sales. Um, but like sales for me dropped way down, not the end of the world. I can still pay my bills and stuff. I just can't buy as many plants. Yeah, <laughs> Terrible. Right. Um, but the, when things were really going well, people were asking me like how Etsy, like, how do you do Etsy? Well, and the, I have a marketing background. All that Etsy really is when you boil it down is it's a search engine. Yes. If you view it like that and you, you, you put in your, your pretty pictures, cause that's what people are shopping for is pictures basically. <laughs> Um, and you make it really easy for them to buy. Um, that's what Etsy does. They're, they're looking for specific search terms. You got to plug them in those tags and put in the title, but all you're doing is a different search engine. It's like feeding Google. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always tell people that are starting Etsy's though. The one thing that's going to set you, set you apart from all the hundreds and thousands of other sellers is presentation. 100% mm-hmm. is like the, you know, presentation may be pricing as well, but yeah. Don't race to the bottom. Nobody wins. Like (laughs) that was the thing I learned as well. But the, uh, it's funny, you, you know, you've made it with your presentation when people are stealing your photos. Yeah. I was, I was updating listings today and I was checking out the competitive pricing on some stuff. And like, there's, there's somebody out there using my Astrophytum Ornatum pictures for their seats and stuff. And people do that a lot. That's the downside of the internet for sure. I have a funny story about that. This girl uh, reached out to me one time and she asked me, she wanted to buy a cactus and she asked me for a step-by-step with photos of how I pack my plants in order to her to purchase this big order. And so, of course, me, naively, I sent her step-by-step instructions with photos. She never responded. The next day, I found her. She launched an Etsy and was selling columnar cactus. (laughs) Oh, my God. What the fuck? (laughs) A dick move. Uh, I had there was one person who had come by and I was chatting chatting with her and uh, mentioned that like because the the seller that I was getting stuff from on eBay from Italy is huge. Like if you've ever bought from an Italy eBay seller, you know who I'm talking about. It's not a secret. But mm-hmm. I mentioned that I was using it and this girl went and immediately started getting stuff from them. But she didn't ask me how I was acclimating things because all that stuff that I import, I root before I resell. Mm. Uh, a lot of people will just import and flip, yeah. which cool, that works. It's uh, you know, it's a way to minimize the potential risk and it makes a lot of sense for what I was getting in and the way I was trying to differentiate myself because that is a very competitive market yeah. is I was rooting things. Uh, and so 
she didn't catch that part that I was rooting them or how I was doing it. And so I was watching, she was just rotting out everything she got. Man. I'm like, that is your karma. Don't steal my business model. Thank you. Yeah. I wish I had the uh, capital to be able to sit on, on things and establish them better for sure. Cause that is the downside of importing is things aren't established roots are clipped. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything's dehydrated, you know, so that's a smart move. Can you, you down to fill these questions? Yeah, yeah, shoot him away. And then let's do like 10 minutes of some show and tell too. So from the Goblin Room, he said, what type of pesticides do you use and do you worry about it killing pollinators? Yes, I do worry a lot about it killing pollinators. We have a lot of butterflies. I love hummingbirds. We have butterflies, bees, hummingbirds. The hummingbirds in particular, we adore. Um, I have feeders all around the house for them and I actually specifically plant a ton of plants that are hummingbird friendly, Mm. uh, which also happens to be bee friendly. So when I use pesticides outdoors, where I know that the creatures can go, we also have the free range chickens. Um, Anything that's outside has to be pollinator friendly. So I was able to find a very specific pesticide uh, recently that I haven't had a chance to use yet. I want to look at the chemicals some more. Um, But that one, I've also used Captain Jack. So like, they're not as good. You're not going to kill things as good as you would kill them with Uh, the kind of pesticide that kills everything. Um, So like you just have to be really diligent and watch your plants if if you're trying to go that route. I also use a lot of uh, natural pest control. So I'll actually get predator, um, predator mites or predator, uh, different predator bugs. Uh, I just have to time it. It has to be spring or fall so that the extreme weather doesn't kill them. Mm. Uh, But everything I put in the greenhouse because the whole point of the greenhouse and the way I did it is things can't get in there. Yeah. Um, so everything up on those benches, I use the gnarly stuff because nothing can get in. Yeah. Um, and very specifically, like the birds and bugs and stuff don't get in there. So I used um, Talstar, uh, which is a residual pesticide. So when things walk across it, uh, bugs in particular, when they walk across the pesticide, they don't immediately feel the effects, but it does neurological damage and they do end up dying over a few days. So for ants, which are a huge problem for me here, they carry in mealies and I hate them. Um, Talstar does a really good... Um, perimeter defense. So when they do come through, then they go out and die. Mm. Also, we have Argentinians, which are invasive, so nothing eats them. So I don't feel bad about using really gnarly pesticide specifically for the ants. Um, the other one that I use is a systemic um, a granule. And that one I have to be careful about using. It's only when my plants aren't blooming and when I know that the water is not going to be going into the ground, basically, because the systemic pesticide stuff, when it gets into the ground, is really bad for all of our chickens and stuff, which are eating that ground. Mm. Um, indoors, I use it like gangbusters because uh, spider mites are my nemesis. Um, that is the spider mites inside, mealybugs outside. Those are the two pests that I deal with the most. Mm. Um, but the systemic uh, for the soil for my indoor plants, and then I get the predatory mites. And then outside, I do lace wings and ladybugs and stuff. And then Uh, I'll use a more natural pesticide and kind of cover everything. And I try to do that at least once or twice a year. Mm. Um, In a bad year, it's like three or four times. Damn. I've been blessed. The most thing I run into the most is uh, scale. Scale is Mm. a big problem for me. Uh, The goblin room as well. Favorite species of native snake. And why is it garter snakes? (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a ton of garter snakes down here. Uh, my actual favorite is um, is king snakes, the mm. California king snake, because they're just raging assholes. I love it. Um, they will musk on you. They will bite you. They rattle the tail at you, and they eat rattlesnakes. 
Um, and they were, they are so like, just insane, like mental snakes that like, if they get hungry, they will eat their own tail. Like I've seen them do the like Ouroboros mm. thing where they eat their own tail because they just got excited about it moving. Um, I've unpacked orders uh, of people shipping in other reptile companies, like people who are, if you're buying wholesale, people can ship you stuff. And like king snakes, when people would breed them, if they were, it was their first time shipping them, sometimes they double them up and have two babies or three babies in one container. And then you don't do that with king snakes because they will eat each other. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> there, was, mm. there was one time I opened it up and the, the baby king snake had eaten the sibling. I'm like, well, that was a bad idea. So yes, California king snakes. Cool. They're my favorite. Uh, Cactus Dan Man said, who would you like to meet or hang out with in the plant community? Oh, man. Um, Someone that you haven't met, I guess, right? Yeah, no. Oh, my God, I'm brain farting. Mama Succulents? Oh, Mama her? Sucks? Yeah. Christine. She, Christine, yes. Love her. Um, I have not actually met her in person. There's been a couple times like where she, we've been about to go to events together and just had, like, I ended up not able to go or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, her and or Queen Bitch. Um, that yeah. I think either one of them would be hilarious. Yes. Awesome. He also said, Cactus Dan Man said, favorite genus of cacti or succulents? Ah, favorite genus is actually Gymnopoliseums. I like their little columnar little cells. Um, I think they're really attractive little cacti. Um, they're just, I think they're really cool and not enough people like notice them or pay attention to them. Like when they bloom, it's beautiful. They're yes. so easy to care for. You kind of can't go wrong. Uh, and I love it because no matter how I neglect them, they thrive. You're not the first person to, to say that that's like the most underrated cactus. I think Cactus Update said that. I think Kimmy Hashi agrees with that statement. I, I'm with you on the flowers. They have some beautiful blooms for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, which reptiles that you own love cacti the most? That was also from Cactus Dan Man. Any of them like them. The uh, the baby Amazon Treebo was pose on them for my pictures when I post them for sale. But mm -hmm. um, maybe the blue tongues, my skinks, because they get the fruits sometimes. But genius marketing. I'm gonna have to check out your shop. That's awesome. You got the reptiles posing. Oh no, I don't put them on the oh. the. I, it's some people aren't okay with snakes, and I don't want to push it on them. But um. when I'm posting the snakes for sale, because when they have the babies. Um, staging is important if you're trying to move things. Uh, so I'll put them on like a cactus or something to make their colors pop. They look pretty. That's cool. <laughs> M. Tashek said, have any of her breeding reptiles ever experienced parthenogenesis? Parthenogenesis. Oh, that's an interesting one. No, none of the species that I keep uh, are species that would do that. Um, the, yeah, no, that would be, so parthenogenesis is basically when a female reproduces without a male present. Um, there's not a ton of reptiles that do that. The, oh, actually I'm lying. I kept morning geckos. Morning geckos reproduce entirely through parthenogenesis. Mm. Um, so morning, yeah. So my morning geckos, I don't have them anymore because because they reproduce that way. Once you get one and it lays eggs, you suddenly start getting like dozens. Mm. Um, it took me months to sell off all of the morning geckos because there were just so many eggs in the cage and yeah. I couldn't find them all. What do you but have the I, most of reptile wise now? 
Uh, poison arrow frogs. My dender cool. babies erotus. Um, our spare bathroom is full of tadpoles at the moment. Wow. Poison arrow frogs. So does that mean that they, they actually produce some kind of toxin that you can use? Nope. The, oh. uh, that is that is honestly one of the most common questions I get asked. It's like, oh, are they poisonous? And the, my smart ass answer is only if you eat them. But the actual answer is uh, that in captivity, they're not eating the range of bugs that makes them toxic. Uh, the reason that they're toxic in the wild is the ants and beetles and tiny little creepy crawlies that they eat. So in captivity, they're eating a diet mainly of tiny bugs like fruit flies, pinhead crickets and things like that. So they're mm. just, they're not toxic. I still wouldn't lick one, but <laughs> not going to kill you. <laughs> I have a, a crested gecko. It's the only reptile I've ever had. Is that the one that you would recommend for somebody that's trying to be like a beginner? Is there any other beginner reptiles? Because I know that's like a pretty highly recommended for beginner people. Mm -hmm. Cresties are great. Um, I love them. The uh, I bred them for a while. The I think the only thing I, I tend to tell people about cresteds is get a bigger cage than yeah. you usually are recommended because they will fling themselves across a cage. It is hilarious. I love it. Um, but yes, crested geckos are great. Uh, bearded dragons. If you want something that's personable, the only downside to a crested gecko is one, the poop, because it smears all over the glass yeah. and then it smells. Uh, they're also nocturnal. So uh, that's a bit of a downside if you want to see something out during the day. The other one that's really popular and every and people are like, oh, but a bearded dragon. Bearded dragons are great. They're super personable. People get really attached to them. They learn you. Um, you can hand feed them. They eat bugs. They eat um, lettuce and, and vegetables and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you're willing to be a bit more adventurous, my personal favorite is blue tongue skinks. There's a reason I still keep them. Mm -hmm. um, and blue tongues are basically garbage disposals. Uh, I feed my dog food. Uh, chicken gizzards that they eat, wow. like you name it, they eat it. They're basically a dog with tiny little legs and scales. Um, they're hilarious. That's cool. And so for the crusties, you want like taller than wide though, right? And you want some height, but the, where I had the, the most fun with them was I had a group of three that was in a 36 wide by 18 by 24 tall cage. Mm. And they would literally jump from one side to the other. And you would just hear them go punk. Punk. Cool. <laughs> they would bounce from side to side. Um, they do want some height, but it's basically they just appreciate uh, a lot of vertical space to climb around and, and jump around on. They're a lot more active than I think uh, people might think they are just because they're nocturnal. So you don't see them moving around. Yeah, mine wakes me up at night. He'll be thumping around <laughs> doing stuff, hunting and stuff. Yeah, I think they're cool. Um, okay, this is the final question from J Ford's 011. Hello. Are Jackson chameleons hard to breed? And do you have any for sale? They are actually uh, most. So Jackson's chameleons are live bears. They give live birth and uh, technically like they can be easy to breed if you've got them thriving for you. Mm. But the hard part is actually raising those tiny babies. I have uh, raised captive hatched or captive born ones before. I don't know a ton of people who captive breed Jacksons. Uh, there's, I think, I'm sure there's a handful in the chameleon community. I'm not one of them, um, but they're really cool. Uh, they just aren't most of the, like 90, probably 95% of the Jackson chameleons you see available for sale were wild caught mm. uh, or farmed in Africa and shipped over as sub adults or near adults. And so they're just not, they're not as accustomed to captivity. They're not as robust as a captive bred specimen would be. So they're a little bit harder to get comfortable, a little bit harder to get them to breed. Um, most of the time when you see them give live birth in captivity, it is a freshly imported one that bred in the wild in Africa. 
Mm. Uh, the hard part about the babies is because they are so small is that they have very specific dietary requirements. They need calcium, they need different supplements. Um, and most people actually kind of over supplement them or don't give them the right kind of temperature gradients. So a lot of people end up killing the babies before they even reach a size that you could resell them. Now, is that unethical, the collection of them? Or is it not an issue because there's enough of them? It's a complex question. The, cause like they're not necessarily threatened in the wild. Uh, okay. And a lot of the ones that you see for sale are actually technically farmed, uh, especially with chameleons because going to go grab them in the wild is hard. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot of walking. Um, so what ends up happening is people will go, uh, go grab a bunch of them, stick them in a cage, feed them really well, let them have babies, raise up the babies and ship those. Um, the, the question ends up being like, you know, are they really being given a good environment over there? Are they really being well cared for? What kind of standards do we have? Uh, you know, in some ways, you know, a way to think about it is like, you know, fence lizards here uh, in Southern California. If you were to create a pen and you just keep feeding the lizards in that pen that come in and then whenever they have babies that come in, you catch them and sell those. Like, is that unethical? Is it bad? Like if they're living a good life? And so it's just, there's not a lot of transparency about how that takes place. There's not a lot of insight about it. And the importation process itself, like it's just rough on the animals. So it's, I don't know. Um, I don't mind it. I did a lot of acclimation of imported animals. And if you're competent and you know what you're doing, it's not the end of the world. It's just like importing, not just like, but it's like importing plants. They're gonna come in in rough shape. And if you know what you're doing, you can rehab them. But that's what you're doing when you're importing an animal is you are probably going to be rehabbing it to a certain extent. Mm. Uh, and it's hard. It's rough on them. Thank you for that. Jen, you're a very excellent speaker and you're extremely knowledgeable. I think that uh, you would do great if you have some kind of, if you'd be willing and you have some kind of uh, presentation because we can share a screen or we can, you know, even just like like a lecture, more lecture based type of conversation i would love to like go dig, dig deeper into some of these topics with you if you'd be open to it yeah absolutely i think it, it's it's fascinating it's fun um and especially with a little bit of back and forth of the uh, of digging into some stuff because it's uh having worked in reptiles and then shifted over into marketing like i've I've seen a lot of different things and worked in a lot of different spots. Um, and so you see a lot of behind the curtain in weird ways. Yeah, no, I would love that here. Let me, now, can we do some show and tell? Let me uh, let my partner know that I'm going to be about 10 more minutes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what would you bring to show me? I brought some of my, so I went up into the greenhouse because there's not a, our yard is shaped such that we can't get Wi-Fi in the greenhouse. It's on mm. our same property. Can't get it. Uh, this was, one of my favorite things about going to uh, my local nursery is that uh, because they go through hundreds of plants, they don't always catch things like these little sports. So this is a Melocactus azureus, so a, bish, a blue hat cactus, uh -huh. um, but it's variegated. Wow. And I found it. I've never uh, seen one of those on a variegated azureus. Yeah, it's really cool. I love it. That's um, awesome. But yeah, that was just sitting there um, basically like going to Home Depot and finding one. It was cool. Cool. Uh, but that's my little variegated guy. I can't wait to see it get a hat and see if the hat's variegated. Um, and then, of course, a gymno. This is a, a Vartamina, and I picked this one because it's fuzzy. And that is actually one of the, my favorite things about some species is that when they get that little bit of fuzz. Mm -hmm. um, Cactus Update actually was the 
gave one of the best pieces of advice with his brushy brushy of the the fuzz because um, I have some that have really big hairy heads mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I was brushing them that I discovered that some of them were hiding mealies in there oh, and that's sure. why he brushes them and so <laughs> that is a really great tip go brush your cacti to check them closer uh, and then this is an aloe castellani or I don't even know I, cool. my Latin pronunciation is terrible no worries um, but this one is what the most people ask me about every time I post it, but it's the smooth form. Mm. Um, when I was looking these up and from conversations with other people, the Alocastelloni is only known from a handful of populations in Madagascar on these big cliffs. And what we got in cultivation are a handful of tissue cultured clones. So all of these are basically all related. So if you want to breed them instead of just take clones or pups, you have to actually get some that are unrelated. Mm. Um, the funny thing about what almost everybody's been getting, the ones with the textured, is that they are a tissue cultured clone from Altman plants. Uh, mm. And so they're all related. They are all the same plant. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can't cross them together to make seeds. Right. Um, cool. I could be wrong. Like, I'm not going to say that that's like the God given truth, but from what I've heard and talked to with other people in the area who've been trying to pollinate them together, I've held on to like six or seven at a time to grow up um into bigger pieces that are worth more but the trying to pollinate them together they won't it just doesn't take but as soon as you cross it to something else seeds interesting um so i'm pretty sure like the they just won't uh self-fertilize and then just to upset gloria it's my uh conifidum. this is the biloba and i think or she doesn't like them no she hates them when they're like this <laughs> they've got the little crusties uh -huh. uh, so conifidums, I actually really love mesems. Um, and so conifidums, when it gets hot in summer, they create this little papery coating uh, and they go dormant and you shouldn't water them. The most you should do is maybe mist them lightly a couple times during the summer if it's hot, mm. uh, but you leave them alone. And then right around now they wake up and they bloom and then they split the little paper covering and then they divide and then you get a bigger clump, cool. uh, but they cover themselves with that paper as a protective measure. Uh, when the weather is extreme and Gloria hates it. She, I was, her stories of, like a few weeks ago, she was like pulling the thing off. No, mm. they need it. Gotta leave it. Uh, and then this is my Pleospilos simulans. Very cool. uh, I love them. The, I have some Nellii in ground actually in the back. That was, I did a presentation for the local cactus club, which uh, San Diegans joined your cactus club. Um, the, but I did a presentation for the club uh, of my in-ground experiment in back where I've got lithops, I've got some pleospilos, and everyone told me they were going to melt, and instead everything's thriving, and it's because the slope is basically just decomposed granite and quartz, um, because the ground here is terrible. So it's terrible for growing food, great for all of these South African species that naturally occur in that kind of soil. Mm. Um, but yeah, so there's I've got those out there. Got I love there? it. And this is one of my oldest euphorbias. This is a euphorbia. I think it's a tubligans. Tubliglans. Um, I bought it as one of those. It's a seed-grown specimen, so it's actually got a nice little taproot that you can't see. Mm. But I'm not sure if that's the name's right because it's got the little globes. And whenever I look the species up, they're longer arms. So I'm mm. not sure if it's just that I'm growing it in more light than what people usually do. Or if it's just not the right species. Um, mm. But I've had this thing for like four or five years now. Um, awesome. And it's definitely, it's a pretty and it's a nice little solid clump. And I love it.
I love seeing what people select to bring. And this is my anthurium. Uh, this is a hybrid. I think it's a magnificum crossed with a crystallanum. So it's got the big pretty leaves, the lobes um, that are actually a little bit fused, but bend out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just love, with anthuriums, I love their little velvety leaves. Yeah. How shiny they are. Um, they're also a lot more like a succulent than a houseplant. Um, if anything, actually, it's funny, Joseph was on with his orchids. Uh, they're basically orchids. Like really? Orchids. Um, I put them in a, a orchid bark <laughs> with a little bit of soil. And you they have these big, thick, fleshy roots. Um, and you could probably grow them in an orchid pot and they'd be fine. And this is my little clarinervium which uh, I just repotted, so it's extra mad at me. But I got this one in 2018 from a plant friend on Instagram. And these were hilarious because I got it for not even $50, I think, at the time. And they went up to like 200 last year. So, uh, so I have one uh, of those, not like, not that, I don't even know the name is, but I'm curious. It's has a browning around the outside of the leaf, like, like similar to the one that I saw just now. What causes that? Um, it's honestly pretty normal. Only it's on the, the edge, right? It's the water, inconsistent water in my case, um, inconsistent water, inconsistent humidity. Uh, sometimes it's fungal, but honestly, the, one of the things that I've learned, especially through talking to other plant growers mm -hmm. who have larger collections and who create seeds and stuff, it's just normal. Mm. Uh, you only see them be perfect when they're grown in greenhouse conditions, mm. uh, that are dedicated for a tropical plant. Sure. Um, yeah, it's basically humidity, I think, humidity and or watering. Uh, I know that when I get lazy or lackadaisical about my watering routine, I see the leaves crisp almost immediately. Um, mm. But because I have all mine in terracotta pots and they're all together, when I get lazy about watering, that means that none of the pots are breathing water or evaporating it. So it's a combination, I think, of the lack of water and the low humidity. Because as soon as I water, humidity in that spot goes up. Well, this uh, morning I came out and the leaves were for the first time i've ever seen to do this they were curled up like this <laughs> and I, I was like oh shit it's dry and i went in, and now it opened back up it's yeah. so strange I you thought caught I, it thought in I time i've it. never seen mine do that um i've seen them droop mine will droop for sure um but yeah the the two plant the two anthuriums i just showed you are my oldest ones i got both of them in 2019 and uh, both of them I have put outside and promptly melted like sunburnt the leaves. So like these plants have been through so much. Um, I am brutal on a lot of my, my house plants. So they either survive or they don't. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Do you, fer yeah. do you fertilize your house plants as well? Mm -hmm, quite a bit. Um, particularly because my anthuriums I have been a relatively sterile mix. I didn't do a lot of the, uh, houseplant soil and for this guy, He's actually in my original attempt at a more custom blend. So it's, there's nothing in there that actually provides any nutrients when it breaks down. It's the charcoal, pumice, um, sphagnum moss, orchid bark, like all of that stuff is actually relatively sterile and doesn't break down to, with a lot of nutrients. So I have to fertilize or they won't uh, keep leaves on. Mm. Uh, for a long time, this, the, this guy was in the one leaf club and every time it would put out a new leaf, the old leaf would slowly crisp up and die. Um, and then it was, I was like, God, what's going on? It used to keep like four or five at a time. And then I was like, oh, I gave it crap for dirt. Mm. <laughs> I need to seed it. Okay, cool. Well, this, 
this has been awesome. You did an excellent job. We've been in, we're at an hour and 15 minutes and I felt like we didn't run out of things to talk about. That's for sure. That's why if, like I said, if you're open to it, I think that you make for an excellent guest and we should, you know, dig deeper. Yeah, yeah I would love that. Uh, Shoot some ideas at me, you know, let me know if you think of something and, yeah. uh, you know, maybe I can prepare some questions and we've got there's a few things we actually dan and i have uh, we have a little microscope that hooks up to the computer so we get pictures like my i did an article on spider mites a uh, really deep a long one for my my website and like i have actual like microscope pictures of the little spider mites and cool. their two spots and the poop and the eggs and all that kind of gross stuff yeah, <laughs> if you have slides you know you can share screen and would love that yeah fantastic would love to cool thank you so much jen appreciate it Thank you. I'll talk to you again soon. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? Well, yeah. Plug so, your Etsy, your Instagram, website. So you can find me on Instagram at T-Rex Plants, all one word. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on Etsy, T-Rex Plants, same thing. Look for the little goofy dinosaur in the circle with all these plants. Uh, you can also find my website where I've been slowly updating it with my collection, my care diaries, articles and stuff about plant care. Uh, and that is T-Rexplants.com. Awesome. T-Rex plants, everybody. Thank you so much. If everybody could please like review and subscribe to the podcast and hit that share button. That helps me out immensely. Have a great day. Bye.